Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Michelle Lemoy has over 30 years of experience in the construction industry. She's the founder and CEO of Elevate Women in Construction, LLC, a community of like-minded women who interact and engage in a peer-to-peer network, also providing resources, training, coaching, support, and motivation. She is also the Senior Project and Business Development Manager at Division 5 CT LLC and the Chief Operating Officer at Zora Builders, a full-service construction management company for high-end residential, multifamily, and mixed-use commercial properties. As a coach, Michelle is passionately dedicated to supporting women in reconnecting with their feminine essence, getting off autopilot, and releasing pushing, doing, and striving tendencies. As a speaker, media guest, and best-selling contributing author, Michelle provides transformational and evolutionary workshops, programs, and live events for women ready to say yes to embracing their inner power and saying no to the constraints in their lives. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Michelle. Thank you, Emily. I'm really happy to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity. Well, I had to put all of that into your intro because I, I, first of all, it's so exciting to me to talk about these things, but I wanted to make sure, you know, you've done so much and I wanted to make sure we really did cover the basis of at least a little bit of what you've done in your intro. I'm sure we've missed a ton of things there, but. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, All right. Well, what, so usually when we start the podcast, we want to give people a little bit of background on who you are. So why don't we take it back? you know, to, you said you've been in the construction industry for 30 years. Why don't we take it back at least 30 years and find out where you started? Did you study anything related to construction in school? You know, I, I didn't, I actually, I always tell people I fell into construction. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, high school, ready to graduate, thought I was going to college. My parents were going through a divorce and, you know, suddenly I wasn't going to college and I, I had to get a full-time job. And so I started at a local furniture company as sort of, you know, the cashier account coordinator, they called it. And within about six months being there, uh, they reproached me and they said, hey, the owners um, would like you to become their executive assistant. So, okay. Um, So three brothers, very successful furniture company in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. And what I found out when I got into the position is that they, they acted as their own GC. They didn't hire someone and they were building showrooms. They were expanding. And they said, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to act as a GC. You're going to be the right hand person, Michelle. So, OK, I don't know anything about construction. Um, and I'm 19 at the time. And I'm like, OK, I'm, I'll do anything. Yeah, sure. Um, and so I loved it. I just I really loved uh, this sort of team collaborative of lots of different people on the job, you know, seeing it from the early foundation days till, you know, opening the showroom and having a gala party event to celebrate. And I, it was just it was just transformational. 
And, and I really didn't know anything about it. So everything was learning. I didn't know how to spell, you know, a lintel. I thought it was L-E-N-T-I-L. And you know, all these little things, you know, bar joist, it was like Joyce, J-O-I-C-E. And, uh, and I had to type all these, you know, minutes of the meetings up. And, you know, I had an architect who eventually became my husband and he used to correct all my spellings and we'd get a good laugh out of it. But it never deterred me. I, I just loved um, being on the job with the guys, getting to understand. Everybody was so patient. I had so many male champions at that point in my career as I started off that really were able to um, help me grow. And, and so it sort of took off from there. And after they stopped um, building the buildings they were building, they said, hey, Michelle, you're going to have to kind of go back to being an executive assistant. And I was like, no, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for me anymore. Uh-huh. I think I've moved beyond. And so, yeah. and so I left and ended up going and working for a um, boat manufacturer for a while and then left there when I got a call to join a steel uh, fabrication company that was rather large in the New England area. And, and I thought, sure. And my first project was uh, the Big Dig. And it was like, wow, like this is a part of history. And Wait, tell us about yeah. the Big Dig. What is the, what is the Big Dig? So the Big Dig, it was one of the largest, um, one of the largest construction projects that completely transformed the city of Boston. Um, it took all of the uh, initial I-93 that was running above ground in the city and it mm. put it below ground. Wow. And it was just this massive uh, construction project that took, I, I want to say it was like 10 years before it was all done because as it as they brought everything underground, of course, they have to find ways to bring in fresh air. And so that's all these vent buildings. And, you know, then just the fact that Boston is built very much near the water table and um, the city is built in by backfilling slurry walls and all these things. And so how do you support this? And how do you, you know, keep life going on in the city? And it's one of the, you know, biggest hubs in the United States. And, you know, how do we do this? And, you know, who are the people and what are the checks and balances and all of those things. So it was really incredible. I mean, one of my, the first buildings I was working on, you know, we were down 80 feet in the ground and you look out and there's, you know, big rig equipment driving around and, and it's like, oh my God, you know, th- this is insane. Um, so, cause you, you were only 19 when you, when you first started working or, you know, you yeah. just out of school, high school. So, and like most people, it takes them a very long time to figure out what they like and what they're, to find a job that they are happy in and that they can make a living in, Yeah. Um, you know, not always both, <laughs> you know, sometimes Correct. it's one or the other, um, but it seems like you really got in there and just everything was going well for you. Like it was very smooth. You enjoyed the work. You had people around you. And I'm going to say probably mostly men who were very supportive. So do you feel like you had a good? I, I do. I think, I think I was fortunate enough that my, so my number one Clifton strength is learner. And so I was very eager. I was Mm. a sponge. And I think that helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't always easy. Um, sometimes being the only female on a job there, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you're cute um, or how, you know, you're not going to be in this for long or, you know, yeah. there's some things that, you know, you deal with, but that's for me, my whole thing was, I wanted to prove that I could do it. I wanted to prove that I loved it. And I wanted to prove that I could add value to the team or to the project. 
And I think that really was helpful. And when you moved on, you said you, you, you had a few different jobs after that. And you got to, into this job with the big dig. How old were you at that point? Uh, so the big dig, I was only probably, um, I was about 24, 25. Yeah. I mean, that seems really young to be in such, involved in such a big project at the time. So few women in the industry. What would you say was the biggest challenge that you faced during that time? I think the biggest challenge was I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I was the type that, you know, I can remember sitting in, in a meeting and, you know, this was, again, you'd have a job site meeting. You had to be in the city at 8 a.m. in the morning. You'd be at a, a table with 30 contractors, of which I was probably only one of two women. And I used to align my face next to the guys next to me. So no, the person at the head of the table couldn't see me. And inevitably, he would always call mine. And he'd go, Michelle. And I'd be like, oh, God. And I'd say, <laughs> you know, hi, Lena, lean in. Hi. And he'd say, you know, where's this? Where's that? Where's this? And I'd be writing furiously because I had no idea what he was asking me. Mm -hmm. And and I had to kind of play it off and I'd say, okay, well, I'm going to have to go back to the shop and, and I'm going to have to get, and he'd say, no, I want answers now, Michelle. And I said, well, I can't get that to you now, but I will get it to you before the end of the day. And I think the biggest thing was I had to make sure I delivered upon that. So I mm -hmm. would go back to the office. I would drive back down the pike to the office. I would get into the, I start flipping through drawings, opening things, asking people in the office, where are we with this? Where are we with that? And then I would come up with a timeline. And then this was, you'd have to call because when I started, there was no email. So you'd have to call and mm -hmm. say, okay, here's, here's what it is. Here's the dates. And he'd say, yes, that's good. No, that's not. Um, and I remember he went to the owner of our company. He said, you know, she comes to these meetings, she's prepared, she tries her best, but sometimes she just doesn't know. And the owner of the company said, you got to give her a chance. Has she always come back and told you what you wanted? And he goes, well, yes. And he said, well, isn't, that, isn't that enough? And he yeah. said, okay. And yeah. so um, I, again, I was very fortunate that people saw my willingness and my tenacity and my determination that it was, um, I was able to get the support I needed. That's great. And it seemed like, it seems like you had a big enthusiasm for the job as well, which I think help, probably helped you because yeah. people saw how happy you were to be working and how you know, excited you were about the work you were doing, uh, which is hard to find in employees. So I imagine that that was helpful. Um, now, you were the president of Lemoyne Erectors. That, so you're Michelle Lemoyne. You're the president of Lemoyne Erectors. Tell us about that. That was yeah. 2009 to 2016. It was. Thank you. So yes, I, I was working for a company. I had, there was uh, three partners, three men partners, and we had decided we were going to try to create an erecting company and go for WBE and DBE status, which is women owned business and disadvantaged business. And mm -hmm. we were doing a lot of DOT work in the Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut area. And we got denied. And they said, no, you can't have a female owner. And then three brothers being the other male owners, because she does not have 51%. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I was faced with the crossroads of, do I go out on my own or do we just dissolve it and forget it and put it away? And something inside of me said to try and go out on my own. So I did. Um, so I divested from my partners and went out on my own and started out with about $250,000 in contracts in, 2000 and, um, in early 2010 and grew it to 8 million in 2016. 
I had at one point 100 people on my payroll, about 10 people in the office. I was a union ironworking signatory to the union in in Mass, Rhode Island, in Connecticut. And I had a customer, unfortunately, on a job that, you know, my gut told me not to sign the contract. It was not a great fit for me, but it was with a client that had supported me over the last, you know, six, seven years. And unfortunately, um, I didn't get paid a lot of money in change orders. And it brought everything to a grinding halt from a cash flow point of view. And I had to close my doors. Um, it was extremely devastating. It took me a very long time to get over the shame and, and the disappointment and the sadness that was associated with having to close it down. Because I think that we were one of the top um, erecting companies in Boston. And we had a great following, great customer base. Like I said, lots of projects in the pipeline. Uh, but I do believe that everything happens for a reason. I'm very grateful for the experience. It was fantastic. We were, you know, we did a lot of amazing projects in the city and 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 surrounding areas, and it was uh, it was awesome. And then, did you go to work for Division Five after that? I went to work for a company called Shepherd Steel after that. Okay. And, and I then- and then I, and then I left to go to Division Five. Yeah. Okay. And tell us about Zora Builders. Cause I just, I, you've had so many different jobs in the construction industry. Were you doing a similar, are you doing a similar, no, you're, you're the COO. So is that a similar role or is it, tell us about the difference there? Yeah. Yeah. So Zora um, actually came through as an opportunity while I was at division five and they were looking for a COO chief operating officer because they wanted to grow their business and they wanted to be a female owned Um, high-end residential construction company. So I left Division 5 for a little period to pursue this opportunity. And they, it was great. We, we've, they've become a woman-owned business recently, uh, but they weren't real busy. And so I decided to switch from a full-time position to a consulting uh, COO. And I went back to Division 5 to help them grow their business. But uh, I'm still still consulting for for Zora. I will be for the you know near future, and mm-hmm. and I love it. It's a great opportunity to support these lovely women who um, are just they want to do things differently. They want to have the construction experience be a positive experience for customers, and they're going to do that through high end residential building, through some um, tenant fit outs, through some multifamily construction. And, and I just love supporting them any way that I can with, with based on the experience of running my own company. So is that what start, what sort of motivated you to start Elevate? Is It's Elevate WIC or Elevate, is that how you say it? Yeah, it's Elevate Women in Construction. Which okay, Elevate sure. Women in Construction. Yeah. Got it. Um, that- so I started Elevate Women in Construction uh, because I was working, when I was working for Shepard, Uh, things were very challenging. I was the operations manager. We were going through COVID. And Mm -hmm. as we were winding down, I had to let go a third of my workforce at the end of 2020. And I, there were rumors that I was going to be the next one let go because there was a reduced workforce. What do we need an operations manager for? Okay. Business decision. Um, And at that point, I had sort of said that I was going to stay at Shepard for a very long time. I thought this was a long-term position for me. And when I realized I was going to get let go, I thought, my gosh, I have, I don't have a network, right? I had operated in the Boston area all these years. I was now in the Connecticut market full time. I didn't really have a lot of connections. I had devoted all my time to this company. So I thought, gosh, I don't have anybody to reach out to, to find another job. What am I going to do? 
And I thought, well, if I'm going through this, I bet you there's other women that are going through this. Yeah. And so Elevate kind of grew from that as this place where we could go for personal and professional development, where we could go and be in community, where we could talk about the issues. Um, There are other organizations out there like NAWIC and Professional Women of Construction. I mean, there's a lot of resources out there for women to join. Uh, I wanted mine to be more intimate and not have any male individuals in there because I wanted to create a safe space for for women to to be in be in sort of mm-hmm. the sisterhood with one another. Um, that was around. I did that for about a year and then recognized that. Um, It's really hard to ask women in the industry when we're already working 50 hours a week or more, we have families and aging parents and kids and things like that, to ask them to show up in community that often. And so then I sort of switched Elevate to be more about going and deal, you know, going and working with these general contractors and, and, and subs that are looking to elevate the women that work for them by having company sponsored events, speaking events, lunch and learns, uh, workshops and things like that. Oh, okay. So now you started out more as a community where you were doing meetups, but that sort of shifted into um, going into individual companies. And can you tell us more about the work that you're doing in those individual companies? Absolutely. So for example, uh, I have done over the last couple of years, there's a corporation that has invited me to speak three times with them. And every time is a different topic. I did a topic on mansplaining, Uh, I did a topic on what it's like to be a woman in construction. Uh, And then I did this recently last week, a topic called, you know, stop proving yourself and stand in your power. And I always give a handout that um, when, when I, you know, present so that they have something to follow along with something they can take with them after the presentation is over. Mm -hmm. And really it's um, these companies are recognizing that they have maybe 15 or 20 women and they need, there's a need for support. There's a need for developing and talking about the issues that affect women because they don't know. You know, I've talked to companies like Hilti, which is a you know, big company over the, throughout the globe. Um, mm-hmm. their, men, their men managers said, we don't know what women are going through. We're trying to treat everybody the same and that's not working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we want to understand, we want to, we want to help. We want to be open to that feedback. And so you know, my, I feel like my passion and my calling is to kind of get in there and bridge those, bridge that gap, you know, talk about, and how do we, how do we bridge that gap and and solve those issues for women so that they can be part of the company, part of the team and feel like they're, they're thriving in their environments and not just fitting in and not Mm -hmm. just trying to prove themselves and not just trying to work harder. Can you think of an example, maybe from one of your trainings where you have heard uh, about a shift in the culture based on you know, what everyone learned from your trainings or just an example of maybe of what someone shared with you in one of the groups? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, so interestingly, after I always ask for feedback after, after my, my, my presentations and some of the feedback I got last week was people felt lighter, they felt mm-hmm. more engaging not only for themselves, but with the other women in the room, because they may not get a lot of time to collaborate or, or, or engage or, you know, share stories about what they're going through. Uh, the other uh, 
one of the other positive uh, feedbacks was that they walked away with actual strategies. They walked away with mm. steps that they could implement right away, that they felt that the content I shared was resonating with them and mm -hmm. that they had a plan. So they felt super excited. Like, I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back to the rest of my day and I, and I've yeah. got the tools in my toolbox. Yeah. One of the things that you have said is that it is your deepest desire that women discover that within them is the ability to create success, balance, and more joy in their lives from a place of authenticity, truth, and inner peace. And, you know, there's a lot that, that sounds like, um, you know, there's a lot behind that, that caused you to like put that together and, and sort of your, your theory of, of what is going to bring women more power. So can you just like kind of expands on it a little bit, explain what Absolutely. you mean by that. Absolutely. So I believe based on my experience and the work that I do with others, that when we really understand who we are as individuals, um, then we can stand in our power, right? So, so when I started in the industry, it was all about fitting in. It was all about proving myself. It was all about being accepted. Um, I'm a people, people pleaser. I wanted people to like me. And what happened was when I was operating in those energies, right? And sort of this masculine energy of doing, pushing, striving, and all of that, mm -hmm. I was not really in tune with who I was as Michelle Lemoy. You know, who do I want to show up as in this industry? How am I showing up in the world? And sometimes I was wearing different hats. The person that I was at, you know, in construction. I couldn't be that same person when I came home dealing with my son, right? I can't be pushing, striving, doing with my son. That's going to be overwhelming. Um, and so I had to figure out, you know, what is it that I want? How do I want to show up? Who am I as a person? Am I, am I showing up in integrity? Am I showing up that I'm able to speak my mind? Am I able to show that I have a joy and enthusiasm for what I'm doing? Um, am I able to, when I get feedback or pushback from a, someone of the opposite sex, am I able to say, is that true? Is that true for me? And mm -hmm. if it's not, then what is the boundary that I need to set mm. to be able to put that person into back into their place or assert my power or assert my confidence um, and, and do it in a very kind, but, but firm way. So, you know, part of that inner peace and part of that balance and joy comes from being really strong in my foundation of who I am. And that's knowing my strengths. That's knowing what I like and don't like. That's knowing how I want to be treated. That's making sure that I'm treating myself first with self-love and putting myself yeah. first in situations. Mm -hmm. And when I'm feeling overwhelmed and stressed, what are those strategies that I'm doing to support myself so I'm resourced? And when we do all of that, we start to find that we are talking in our truth. We are being authentic. And when we're doing that, that should be bringing us joy and peace and feeling like we are fully integrated in who we are as a person. Now, you mentioned a few minutes ago about being a people pleaser, and I think a lot of women, we suffer from this. I don't know if it's, you would, if I'm, if, if it's an affliction, but, um, but you know, it's, it's a lot of our personalities because of the way we were raised or the culture around us. So how do you 
how do you handle up, you know, putting those boundaries up when you feel that you're being either put down or discriminated against or, you know, mansplained to or whatever it is that you're dealing with? How, how are you setting up those boundaries um, within your personality as, as you say, a people pleaser? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, so first of all, I'm going to say for me, um, I have ha had to do a lot of inner work, right? So the, 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 how I was raised, I was raised to be a people pleaser. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was raised to not to put everybody else first. And what I didn't recognize along my journey over these last, you know, 30 years, let's say, is that that would always be the default for me. So the minute I would get some pushback from somebody, I'd be like, oh, they don't like me. I need to do whatever they need me to do so that they accept me. And as we all know, in some of these male-dominated industries, um, it doesn't matter what you do. Sometimes you're just not going to be accepted or liked. And so that <laughs> was hard for me. That was really yeah. hard for me uh, because I thought the harder that I worked and the more that I did, that people would eventually come over to my side, as I'll call it. Yeah. Um, I had to do a lot. I had to recognize, first of all, and be aware that that's what I was doing. Right. And how I knew that that was doing is because I was crying a lot or I was very frustrated mm. or I felt horrible. But then the juxtaposing of this is that I had a bunch of people that loved working for me. And there were times that it went really well. And yeah. so um, I did go and get and I and I still do. I have a fantastic mental health counselor and she helps me navigate those things. And 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 she'll say, OK, this is you know, this is recognizing that this is an old story I'm telling myself. Right. And mm -hmm. so one of the things is to try to get help where we need it and recognize that this isn't working for us, that I'm unhappy, right? I, I went and got help because I was unhappy in those situations. Yeah. And then the next thing was, like you said, trying to figure out how to set those boundaries. And those boundaries um, at first came across a little maybe assertive, like, no, I'm not, I'm, that's not acceptable and I'm not putting up with this. Um, over time, it's become more about if I'm getting a reaction from somebody else that's that strong against me, it really has nothing to do with me. It has to do with their, what's going on with them. Yeah. And so I have to sort of, you know, visualize this sort of sheet coming down and then I have to just make sure that I'm calm and then be more curious about what's going on with them. Wow. I see that you're mansplaining to me. Is there a reason for that? <laughs> I'm so curious. And I bring in a little bit of humor and they mm -hmm. go, what? I'm not, I'm not mansplaining. I go, oh, that kind of sounds like it. So let's talk about this. Like, what's going on with you? Like, what, what can, what can we do here? Cause I know what you're talking about because mm -hmm. now it's not about me anymore. And so I can say in my, my head, girl, you've got 30 years experience. Yeah. Use it, use it. Mm -hmm. And if I'm being triggered because someone's really coming at me and there's no way I'm breaking through, then that firm boundary is, I'm sorry, I see you upset right now. And I can't have a conversation with you because it's unproductive at the moment. Mm. So we're going to take a break. I'm going to call you back. And hopefully we're going to both be in a calmer place that we can talk this through. That's like parenting a little bit. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Now, I, I want to talk about something else that you've brought up um, in the past, and that is about the idea of, this is one of my favorite topics, but losing your feminine essence in a masculine job. 
uh, you know, I'm a very strong proponent that you can be both. You can be feminine and you can work one of these male populated jobs. Um, and I think that it's important that we do remain true to ourselves and who we are. It doesn't mean you have to be feminine if that's not your natural state, but if you want to be feminine, you should be and not let them stop you. So talk, can you talk more about that? And, um, you know, the whole, the whole idea about how we can create uh, a, an environment for ourselves where we do feel comfortable being feminine in that kind of environment. Yeah, I love that. I love that that's your favorite topic. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, so so I have always been, I have always embraced my femininity. Um, I am the type of girl that goes to job sites with chandelier earrings on. Um, I am always wearing makeup. And, you know, my hair is blonde. It's been different colors in the past, but I go wearing the clothes that feel comfortable for me. That includes your fabulous cherry bomb boots, which <laughs> I get supers tell me all the time. I can see you from a mile away because I've got my <laughs> orange sweatshirt on and my red boots on nice. <laughs> and, and I, and I own it, right? I own it. Um, why? Because it's important to me. It's important to me to honor that I am a woman, that I bring a certain set of traits to this industry, to this job, to this world. And for me, that self-expression is I want to own that. And, and not only that, but my feminine essence too is, and this is where I've had to work on not being in those masculine energies of pushing, doing, striving to the point of burnout and overworking, is I want to bring in more creativity. I want to bring in more collaboration. I want to bring in more empathy and understanding. And when I do that, I'm balancing out that masculine energy with those feminine energies as well. And so when I'm more in my feminine energies, of course, it also more supports my femininity as a woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can say that I get more from, from the men on job sites. It's more a curiosity, right? Like, Wow, why do you always wear like you always have different earrings on? I do. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> um, you know, I wear heels right up until I change into my into my into my work boots, right? Mm -hmm. So people walking by my car, they're like, "Oh my god, how do you walk in those things?" I'm like, "Well, I only actually wear them from the from the chair to the car, and from the car to the <laughs> work site, and then I change into my boot, right?" Like I make a joke out of it because. I love heels. They make me feel powerful. They, so my suggestion to others is find your style mm -hmm. and own it. Um, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks. If you're being safe and you're on a job site, but you're adding your own flair, go for it. You, nobody says you have to dress like a man. Nobody says that you have to dress like a man to try to fit in. Um, mm -hmm. Our job is to bring our skills and our personality and our integrity and our truth to the work that we do. That's our- I that's love that. Way. I love that. I think it's so important. I think it's so important that we don't feel that we have to conform to what we're not in order to fit in. And the more of us that do that on the job site that, that remain true to ourselves and our own essence, if that's a feminine essence, great. You know, the more of us that do that, the more people will, men and male, uh, the males around us will become accustomed to that, that type of personality, that type of essence, and the more accepted it will be. So I, I do think it's important to, to push that and to continue and to just be true to ourselves. So thank you so much for talking about that. Um, Michelle, I know you've had, you, you're an author also, you have 
um, written a chapter, I believe for a book, and you're also working on your own book right now. Can you tell us about both of those? Sure, thank you so much. So uh, just recently published, um, I'm actually, it's actually the book has reached Wall Street Journal bestseller number two status. So we're, wow. we're thrilled about that. It's the Born to Rise book. It's how 22 extraordinary women rewrote their stories claimed their power and followed their dreams. It was compiled by my fabulous friend, Kim Fuller and our rock star um, publisher, Bryna Haynes, who's also a, a friend of mine. And it's just so important to, for women to share their stories. You know, one of the things that we talked about this past weekend, we launched the book at the story, at Kim's Story Festival is that um, this, this sense of community and really women sharing our stories so that we can recognize that we're not alone that we can years from now look back and say, this is what it was like to be a woman in construction. This is what it was like to contemplate suicide. This is what it was like to, to be um, alone in a marriage. You know, Whatever those stories are, um, it brings, our hope is it brings comfort. Um, and so just super excited to be part of that project. It's been a wonderful experience. Uh, Kim is doing another book um, called Awakening, which is the next compilation. So people that are interested, certainly check, check that out. And, uh, and then my solo book, um, I've been working on for about a year. I've, I've got about 15,000 words written. And then I sort of got this message, uh, I'll call it a divine download that said, you know, hold off, you, you've got more to live and more to experience to contribute. So now um, I'm going to be gearing back up again towards the fall to get back into it because I do feel like I've learned a lot in the last year since I had worked on it and looking forward to hopefully getting that published next year. And that book is going to be about the topic that we just we just discussed, reconnecting with your feminine essence, right? Absolutely. Yes. I'm very excited for that. <laughs> I can't yeah. wait till that comes out. Can't wait to read it. Um, okay. So also, Michelle, before you go, I want you to tell us about, uh, you know, the workshops that you're you know, what, what you're offering to companies, how they can get in touch with you to be a part of it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so the workshops I offer are twofold. Um, that, again, do the workshops for the women in these organizations. It can be even a, an organization not in construction uh, because a lot of these uh, values and these core beliefs and these stories that we tell ourselves are in lots of male dominated industries, right? We can re resonate as women. And so um, I'm happy to speak to any organization that wants to elevate their women and talk about those things that matter to them most. And I can create custom uh, workshops around those, those requirements and needs. And then uh, there's also, I teach workshops for things in construction. Like I taught a workshop um, in December that was called the three C's of constructions, contract negotiations, change orders, and communication. Um, it was for both men and women. It was mm -hmm. for individuals that are just coming into the industry less than let's say five years. So your um, associate uh, assistant project managers, um, estimating coordinators, maybe um, junior project managers or younger project managers that have one to two years experience. And understanding that we don't have to be so logic-based in our thinking and decision-making. We want to bring in the emotion and recognize how that plays a part in our decision-making and also relationally, right? We should be making decisions because logic and structure can only get us so far. 
and we have to we have to bring in all those other other values as well. And so, you know, they can go to my website at michellelemoy.com. Um, there will be, um, there's a speaking page that will be up in the next couple of days. There'll also be my Elevate Women in Construction tab that's in the navigation bar that they can go in there. And there's all sorts of ways to connect with me, email, on LinkedIn, and, um, and we can have a 30-minute discovery call and find out what, what your needs are and what you'd like to accomplish in your organization. And I'm happy to help. Michelle Lemoy, author, speaker, coach, founder, and CEO of Elevate Women in Construction and 30-year construction industry veteran. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hazard Girls podcast today, sharing your story and a little bit about all of the things that you're spreading, you know, teaching to companies and teaching to other women and people in the construction industry in general. Thank you so much for all of the work that you do to, to empower women in construction. Emily, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I love everything you do. So thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.